Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. My name is John Mark Yates. I am so glad to be joining with you again. Uh, This is my fourth Sunday with you. I have been filling in for Lane Harrison, the pastor here of LifePoint, while he has been on sabbatical. This is the last week you have to put up with me, and uh, you get your pastor back, which is uh, great and fantastic, and I'm super excited for you as he comes back, uh, rejuvenate, refresh with an exciting word uh, from God for you as a congregation. As we've been together, we've been working through some pictures in the book of Ezekiel. And we've called this series, Letters from Exile. The children of Israel had experienced unbelievable turmoil in their lives. Everything that they had known had been upended. Their country decimated. Their economy non-existent. People had died. They have lost family members. They had other family members taken into exile into countries that they didn't even know where they were. This was an absolute upheaval. We saw in the first week of our study, the question, is God even here? Is is he the greatest? Is he the strongest? I mean, we lost. Doesn't that mean that somehow God is less? And we found that the text of scripture elevated the reality that God is greater than anyone else. In our second week, we looked at what was happening with the people of Israel as they were looking to foreign gods and concepts and ideas and finding them attractive and worshiping even these foreign gods and finding out that that is not the right approach, finding out that not only is God greater, but he is worthy of all of our worship. Last week, as we came together, we asked that question that so frequently we do as humans about who's to blame for the mess that we find ourselves in. We discovered in the text that actually it's, we stand before God on our own. And as we stand before God on our own, God's judgment will fall on us, but they also that God seeks to redeem each and every one of us as an individual. That's an important concept And today we come to Ezekiel 37. And the question that we're going to be answering today that was on the hearts of many of the people of Israel is quite simply, is there hope? Is there hope? Hope is an elusive concept that frequently uh, we see co-opted in our culture, right? Every political cycle. Somebody is peddling hope, right? (laughs) Hope, uh, the change that you can believe in, those kinds of slogans start, you know, rattling around. But we know that hope has so much more than empty, vacuous political jargon, right? Hope is what allows that chemo patient, third, fourth, fifth, sixth session and beyond to look forward to healing in their body, right? Hope is, uh, is what maybe a political prisoner might, might think of in, in terms to keep them going. Hope is what parents use when they're going through various stages of child rearing, like potty training, right? Hope that they're going to be beyond this, right? Or, or middle school, surely they're going to get beyond this, right? Hope that you just keep moving forward for the people in Israel. 
in exile. They felt hopeless. We're even going to see that reflected in the text itself. They wondered if there was any hope at all. If you're taking notes today, there's just one point that is so clear in this text that that I I really want us to be able to anchor into, and it's simply this, true hope is found in God alone. True hope is found in God alone. So if you've opened your Bible to Ezekiel 37, today I'd like us to kind of read the first 14 verses, and, and I want us to see a very unique setting. So as I read the text, you follow along, and let's see what God says to us today. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, this is what God's Word says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around and among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you will live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. and Indeed, we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you will live and I will place you in your own land and you will know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. In this vision, we see Ezekiel taken to a very, very weird setting. Again, remember, this is a vision. This isn't a literal place with a literal grouping of bones. This is Ezekiel seeing a vision from God. But can you imagine an entire valley full of bones? This is worse than your neighbor that overdecorates for Halloween, right? This is, this is bones everywhere. And it, it's, just, it's just bones upon bones upon bones, all full in this valley. Now for Ezekiel, there's, there's a secondary problem that maybe we haven't thought about. Uh, Ezekiel was raised as a priest. And if you read in the Old Testament, priests were to never touch the dead. 
It made them unclean. And so as a priest, as God told him, and, and as we see in the text that he's kind of walking in and among the bones, you can imagine Ezekiel kind of being like, okay, and uh, all right, right here, and then try not to touch this one. He's trying to walk around all these bones and not disturb this valley full of these bones. God asks him this question, can these bones live? I hope you caught Ezekiel's answer. Look at verse three. He says, I answered, O Lord God, you know. If you've ever been in a circumstance where you've been pressed on something, it's like, uh, I guess, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know. What you should hear here amongst Ezekiel's response is that Ezekiel is seen and experienced quite a lot of things. This is potentially around midpoint of his 20-year ministry of prophecy. So he's seen God do some incredible things. He's had some visions that were a, a little beyond. We saw that in chapter one and maybe even in chapter eight. So when God asks him this question, I'm sure there's somewhere in the back of his mind that says, well, of course you're God. But at the same time, and there's thousands of bones and they're all scrambled up and it's, they're dead. In fact, they're not just dead bones. It, it goes so far in the text to truly uh, outlie, behold, this is verse two, behold, they were very dry. So imagine going on a hike in Northern Arizona beautiful countryside. It's, it's gorgeous. You're, you're walking up alongside the hillside. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful day. And as you crest that hill, just bones after bones after bones of dry, dusty, old bones. And God would ask you, can these live? Well, uh, God, uh, sure, I guess, I don't know. Uh, I, I have no idea what you're up to, but it's, it's you, so why not? And, and this is how this might work. And is this not often us? When you and I are facing an impossibly huge moment in our life, maybe it's a really big decision. Maybe it's a health situation that you were not planning for. Maybe it's your marriage is on the rocks. It just seems like an impossible situation. How often is our response not faith, but at best uncertainty? I, I don't know. Maybe even credulity, right? I it would be crazy if God did anything to this. It's just, it's dead. It's, it's gone too far. There's, there's no hope. The situation is out of control. It's impossible. There are a few warning lights that we can even see in our own heart and life that, that indicate that we've abdicated our, our, our understanding that, that God can do the impossible. Some of these warning lights are, do I have an overarching cynicism to everything? you've grown up in the church for a long time, it's easy to get just, just a tad cynical maybe about things that are going on in the church or this and that. And, and that cynicism starts to tear away at the joy that we have in our faith. And maybe a, a blinking red light on your spiritual dashboard saying, warning, you no longer are believing that God can do the impossible. 
Maybe it's a crippling worry, a different type of blinking, flashing lights that you, you just are overwhelmed and, and consumed with worry all the time. There are too many things going on and it's, it just seems impossible. Another warning light might just simply be your over-reliance on self. God, I, I, I got this. I don't, I don't need you. I, I, I can do it. And we continue to press forward. Is this you? Those warning lights perhaps flashing on your dashboard? Are you finding yourself like Ezekiel uh, where you're going, God, I just, uh, okay, I don't know. It just seems too big. It's too impossible. Look at how God responds to Ezekiel. Verse four, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is a weird thing. Uh, These aren't people, God. uh, These are bones. You want me to do what again? Prophesy over these dead, dry bones. You want me to speak to them. How silly would you feel? Again, in your mind's eye, that the picture of all of these bones out there, and God says, hey, prophesy over them that I'm going to restore them. And you stand up in front of these bones and just go, uh, hey, God's going to bring life to you, right? And that just seems so silly. It seems so odd. You can imagine how awkward maybe Ezekiel felt about this circumstance and, and about this moment. What we're going to find, though, here in the text is that as Ezekiel prophesies over them, we see foundations restored, foundations restored. If we are those who are seeing hope found in God alone, we will see foundations restored. The key in this is there in verse 4, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Friends, I can't begin to stress this to you enough. This is how we hear the word of the Lord. I know that we come on Sundays uh, and we have someone who preaches to us uh, and teaches the word of God. You're at a a church that is an incredible church that that highlights and heightens the, the importance of preaching the word of God. If you're visiting churches and you're trying to find a church home, this is the type of church home that you want where the word of God is the authority and it is preached and communicated. But friends, we have access to the word of God even on our own as we study and read on our own. How frequently and how foolishly are we engaging life when we miss out on hearing the word of God? We judge things based on our feelings. How fast do your feelings change? We, we, we judge things based on worldly philosophies. Those change with the wind. But the word of God is true and firm foundation for your life and my life. And friends, if we are gonna be those who have hope, we need to have our hope built on a firm foundation. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, friends, this is, this is so 
crazy as, as we read in this text what happens. God tells Ezekiel what he's supposed to say, right? His message is in verse 5, uh, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. So this is what Ezekiel is proclaiming out over these bones that God has told him to say, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live, right? So that's what he's told to say. So verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. This is worse than any, like, horror movie, I'm sure, at some point, right? This whole valley full of these bones dried, scattered about, and all of a sudden, like an earthquake, they begin to chatter and move, and they start coming together, and they're joining, and so what was over here, maybe a skull, and over there, maybe a toe, it's all coming together and matching with the right person and being reconstructed, and then, oh, look, as Ezekiel's looking, it's not just bones coming together, but now there's ligaments, and oh my goodness, there's, there's muscle and, and, and skin, and all of this is taking shape right before his very eyes. See, when the word of God is spoken, the structure of our life, the structure of our hope is restored. Maybe some of you remember the old song, The Spiritual, that actually was made popular, I believe it was in the 50s by a recording group, but it was, it was called Dem Bones, right? Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones, right? Now hear the word of the Lord. You guys remember this old song? It was a song actually that slaves used to sing to each other to remind each other that hope was still present, that God was still on his throne. Remember us talking a little bit about that same type of understanding in Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. These slaves, as they believed in Christ, were proclaiming to each other the gospel, that there is hope, that there is going to be hope no matter how bad it looks, that there is hope that God would act in justice and restore their freedom. See, when the word of God is spoken, God restores. And I want to remind us of something very clear. Listen to Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Friends, we have nothing to offer anyone of ourselves. What we can offer them is the word of God. We continue to push people towards the word of God. We continue to point people towards the word of God. We can continue to press people towards the truth of the word of God. This is our confidence. This is our foundation. Every structure is restored when we bring it to the word. But notice what happens in the text. Verse eight, as I looked, there were sinews on them, the flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. The, the picture here is that they were in the form of a person. They were like a man, but they had nothing to animate them. They were just there. See, while the word of God brings about restoration of our foundations and our structures, full life is restored in the spirit of God. Full life is restored 
in the spirit of God. Look what happens to the text. Verse nine, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, say to the breath, thus says the Lord of God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now here's something that you probably are missing and our English translations can't quite pull together. The Hebrew word for breath, ruach, is the same word that's used for spirit, the spirit of God, the ruach of God. This wind that blows through is the very spirit of God bringing life and animating us for God's purposes. We should also, in our minds as we're reading this and hearing this, we should hear strong echoes all the way back to the moment of creation when God took the dust of the earth and formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And then the text says that he breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul, a living being. It's the breath of God that animates the universe. The spirit of God moving through is what keeps everything moving. Your spiritual life doesn't happen without the breath of the spirit in your life. It's the breath of God. It's the spirit of God that animates us, moves us towards God's purpose. Now look, this is so important for us to get. See, when, when Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he said he promised that he would send a helper, another one likened to himself, his spirit that would be with us until he returned again. The promise was that God would give of himself, his Holy Spirit to us to keep us and to watch us. And I know that there are a lot of different interpretations of what that means, but friends, the text is so crystal clear about this one thing. The moment you trust Jesus Christ, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't have to evidence anything. You don't have to do anything else. The moment you trust Jesus as your savior, you receive the fullness of God's spirit in your life. In Romans chapter eight, Paul writing to the church in Rome says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead abides in you. The very animating principle for you and for me and our spiritual life is that God's presence through his spirit is with us. Friends, if that doesn't give you hope, we might need to talk about something else in terms of your salvation. Friends, because we are not walking through this life alone. That promise of the Spirit is that he is with us in the midst of everything. That is a comfort, a peace, a thing that gives us hope. So as you're looking at that situation in your life that looks way too big. When you're looking at those corners and the recesses of your heart and your life that have been so dry and so dusty spiritually, maybe the prayer for you this morning is actually to say, oh spirit, would you revive my heart? Would you come afresh in a wind of your spirit and blow through these dry, dusty corridors in my life and let me see you again? This is such an important thing for us to get our eyes off the world and onto the Savior and build our reliance on him because it is in the spirit of God that we have life. So let's pause for a second. What we've discovered here in this 
text that, that true hope is found in, in God, right? So the, the word of God is the foundation for life. The, the spirit of God gives life, purpose, meaning, and our hope. And this true hope found in God providing his word and his life through the spirit. So let's talk about this idea of hope. We read it in verse 11, the children of Israel saying, we're lost. Our hope is gone. Our bones are dried up. We are indeed cut off. And this is where we see where this vision actually was connecting Ezekiel to where the people of God were. They felt so dead and so dry and so separated. This is really where many of us are, if we're honest. We're dusty, hurt, broken. And the cry of the people of Israel is exactly ours. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're cut off. I haven't heard from God in who knows how long. I, I just feel cut off. Now in this remaining section in this passage, this idea of hope, God reveals two different levels to hope. The first one is a future hope, what we might call an eschatological hope. That's the big theology word for you today. Eschatological hope, a future hope. God promises he will do this. Look at the end of verse 12. God says he's going to raise his people from the grave and I will bring you into the land of Israel. The promise to the people of Israel, this is repeated not only in Ezekiel, but also in several of the other prophets, is that God would restore his people to their land. And in fact, that happens, right? The children of Israel are able to go back into the land of Israel. That's the setting and the place. There's, there's other political pressures and other things that are going on. It's not a full restoration, but they're there. That's, that's where eventually we see Jesus born into that context and into that culture. They're able to worship again in the temple. But it's not a full restoration. It's not a fullness of all of this coming to pass. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I want to make sure that we understand as believers that there is coming a day when all of this will be made complete and whole and fully restored. Notice that he says here in the text as well that in verse 13, you will know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves Oh, my people. Friends, we sang about this earlier. Jesus was raised on the third day, bodily, physically raised. Christianity has always taught that though our bodies may die, when the end of time comes, we ourselves will bodily rise from the grave just like Jesus. This is part of what Christianity has always taught and always believed. Listen to Paul as he writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
right? Uh, Paul is trying to help the church understand that even in death, we have hope. And so we don't grieve for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who, who die. We don't grieve in the same way. We'll miss them, sure, but we know that we're going to see them again. Why? Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Part of our hope is anchored on the truth of what God has revealed to us that he is going to fix it all in the end. And we're supposed to encourage one another with that. Are you living as if heaven is real? Are you living as if heaven is a real destination for you? See, I think for some of us, we've so separated that out, we're missing out on what the scriptures actually tells us as part of our hope that we hold on to, that even though things are tough in this life, it is just a fleeting moment in all of eternity, and we can press through because our hope is in Christ, and we will see him face to face and spend eternity with him. Our hope is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will restore all things in his way in his time. And we'll see Jesus then. Do we live that way? Do we live as if heaven is real? Do we share Christ with others like heaven is real? Do we live like heaven is real? Do we live with hope? Not only do we have this future hope, but we also have a present hope. This is found in, in verses 13 and 14. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. The idea here is the promise of the presence of God. The promise of the presence of God. We've already talked a little bit about this. We, we know that he is God. We know that he engages in our life. He, he opens up our grave. He raises us from the dead. This is such an amazing echo even of what we see in the book of Ephesians as Paul says that we were those who were dead in our trespasses and sins and through Christ, he raised us to new life. We can experience real, full life in Christ. And this is the promise of the gospel. This morning you may have wandered in here and just come to, to, to worship on a Sunday. You don't know why you're here and you don't know anything about Jesus. But, but friend, this is the promise of Jesus that he can raise us from the grave of our life and give us hope and a promise for the future because he died for our sin and took the penalty for it and gives us hope for the future. So if you are hopeless, dear friend, let us share with you the hope that comes in Jesus. And notice in verse 14, I will put my spirit within you. This is the promise of the spirit. I've already referenced this. I've already talked about this. It's so intertwined within, within this text. The spirit is with us. He is with us in everything we experience and go through. Did you know that the early church struggled with this concept as well? They had difficult days 
If you read the book of Hebrews, I find it fascinating. Here's a community of believers who are experiencing pressure from a, a political situation and pressure from a religious situation both onto their life that is doing everything it can to squeeze them away from Jesus. And the author of Hebrews, we don't even know who that was. It's, it's an anonymous letter, but the author of Hebrews writes to them. And, and what does he write to them? He writes to them that Jesus is better, right? That idea that God is better. He writes to them and says, don't give in to the idols of the day, just like Ezekiel did. He says, you're gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ, just like Ezekiel did. And as the author of Hebrews goes on in Hebrews chapter 10, listen to what he says in verse 39. As believers, he said, uh, chapter 10, verse 39, he says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The author of Hebrews begins to link this idea of faith and hope. Why? Because faith and hope find their final and fullest explanation in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. We never see the conclusion always of what God is doing, but we know that we have a confidence, we have a hope that in Christ alone we will see the fullness of everything in his time. In 1834, Baptist pastor Edward Mote wrote a hymn, sung frequently in, in many churches. I, I'm actually sure you know it. What he saw in his day in 1834 in Britain was the, the machine of the Industrial Revolution. And in his city, it was just churning through individuals. As technological advancement was moving forward, it was absolutely decimating the people in his town. People were losing their jobs. There was no hope. It was a bleak, bleak time. And one day in his study, he's sitting there, he'd been praying, and he pens these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Where is your hope? Is the reason you feel hopeless this morning because you've never trusted our hope that's found only in Jesus? Did you give your heart and life to him, experience hope? My brother and sister in Christ, it's the reason you don't feel like you have hope. Because you've sought after and chased after every dry, dusty path and have refused to place your hope fully in Christ. The Spirit of God is ready to blow across those dry, dusty corridors of your heart and bring life and to give you hope in the midst of the chaos that you're experiencing, the brokenness that you're experiencing, and to give you hope for the future.